welcome to episode 8 of the Clifftown Podcast with me, M.G. Bolter. In this series, I am looking at the culture, people and hidden histories of Southend-on-Sea in Essex, the town I grew up in and which inspired my album, Clifftown, which was released on Hudson Records in April 2021. In this episode, I visit the town of Benfleet, a few miles west of Southend, in search of a little-known battle site, the Battle of Benfleet, which took place in the 9th century between the Viking, Haston and the Anglo-Saxons. Join me as I try to track down the lost Viking camp and uncover what railway workers really found there when they dug up the ground in the 19th century. Welcome to Clifftown. I think you can tell you that I am terrified every time I Beside Ferry Road, in the commuter town of Benfleet, some eight miles west of South End, stands a dragon's head sculpture, sitting on the prow of a longboat. This monument, unnoticed by the busy traffic, which forever shuttles between Canvey Island and the mainland, is the only marker of the Battle of Benfleet, which occurred in the year 894. The battle is not up there in the list of great British battles. There is no epic poem detailing the troop movements like in the Battle of Malden. No archaeology, no grand history, just a bloody bout between Danish Viking and Anglo-Saxon while the country was still forming. But yet it holds my attention, the colourful characters involved, the elusiveness of the event and the incongruity between the busy town today and what may have happened 1,200 years ago. Like I found in previous episodes, the story reverberates still, and I am captivated by the throwaway references to a later history, the discovery of burnt bodies in the foundations of Benfleet train station, navvies building it dying of a strange disease soon after. There were so many questions I had, and I'd been eager to tackle this episode for some months. But let's start at the beginning. In 894, Britain was not as we know it today. The land was divided between different groups of people. Large parts of the country were under what was called Danelaw, where Danish Viking settlers had created their own communities. East Angular was firmly Danish, although London and the Thames coast stretching out to the sea was firmly Anglo-Saxon, and ruled by the then King of Wessex, Alfred, later to become Alfred the Great, who arguably created the first English state. And then there is the Danish leader, Haston. A romantic take on this Viking could be painted using the sparse historical record we have available. Raiding Mediterranean countries, burning mosques, fighting caliphates, storms destroying ships off the Strait of Gibraltar, excursions into Italy and then France and Brittany, killing the Frankish king Robert the Strong. But by 892, Haston, who must have been close if not over 50 years old, had found himself in Sittingbourne in Kent, with a sizeable army alongside their families. 
Having such a seasoned warlord on your doorstep did not please Alfred one bit, and there were efforts to neutralise the threat and bring him into the fold. Thus ensued the obligatory taking of oaths, baptisms and hostages to ensure Haston towed the line. Alfred even became godfather to Haston's sons. Not long after, Haston moved his followers and camp to Benfleet. Then, as now, Benfleet sits right on the estuary, and the immediate shore is composed entirely of creeks, small marsh islands and inlets, perfect for sailing boats onto shore in high tide. It's a perfect spot for a semi-nomadic community who rely on their boats for food and raiding. So far, so good. But in 893 or 894, there seems to have been a flare-up of hostilities between Alfred and the competing Danish kingdoms. Haston's presence in the Anglo-Saxon heartlands isolated the southeast corner of Britain, where Southend happily sits today, between a Danish East Anglia and Haston. Conflict followed, and while Alfred rushed to fight in Devon, he sent a contingent to roust Haston out of Benfleet for good. The only known account of the Battle of Benfleet is from the epic Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, and in its entry for 894 we have the following. The Danes, dwelling in Northumbria and East Anglia, assembled about a hundred ships which sailed south about, and forty ships which sailed north about, and besieged a fort in Devonshire on the Bristol Channel and those which sailed south about besieged Exeter. When the king learnt of this, he marched west towards Exeter with all the levies, with the exception of a very inconsiderable part who continued eastward. They went on until they came to London, and then, with the citizens and the help which came to them from the west, they went east to Benfleet. Haston had come there with his host, which had been encamped at Milton. Haston had made that fort at Benfleet before this, and was then off on a plundering raid while the great host was in occupation. Then they, the English, advanced and put that host to flight, stormed the fort and seized everything inside it, both property and women and also children, and conveyed them all into London, and all the ships they either broke up or burnt or brought to London or to Rochester and Haston's wife and his two sons were brought to the king, and he restored them to him, because one of them was his godson, and the other the godson of the earldom of Ethelred. They had stood sponsors for them before Haston had come to Benfleet, and he had given him hostages and oaths, and the king, in addition, had presented him with much property, and he did likewise when he restored the boy and the lady. But as soon as they came to Benfleet and the fort was built, he, Haston, went harrying in that very quarter of Alfred's kingdom that his son's godfather, Ethelred, had to rule over. And again, on this second occasion, he was away harrying in the very kingdom when his fort was stormed. Then the king was on his way west with the levies towards Exeter, as I said before, and the host had besieged the town. When he had arrived there, they retired to their ships. When the king was occupied against the host there in the west, both the hosts were concentrated at Shoebury in Essex, and there they made a fort and marched in company up along the Thames, joined by great reinforcements, both from East Anglia and from Northumbria.
So it seemed the battle was a merciful one. The Danish were captured while Haston was out plundering some community on a nearby coast. Clearly women and children were present, but returned safely. Clearly some of the camp escaped to set up another camp in nearby Shoebury, although some of the longboats were burned. This is a tantalising glimpse into a tumultuous time. But apart from this entry some 1200 years ago, mentioning camps in Benfleet and Shoebury and battles in Devonshire, the case goes cold. Rooting through local archives and history books, I found very little else on this conflict or the fate of Haston. In the 1870s, Benfleet was surveyed by amateur enthusiasts, their work ending up in publications such as the Transactions of the Essex Archaeological Society. In the Essex County History, a Victorian attempt to encompass the vast topic of local history, they had this to say. In the Saxon Chronicle, under the date 894, we hear of Benfleet having been already constructed by Haston, the Danish leader. The chronicle tells of his treachery and of the conquest of his fort by part of King Alfred's army, aided by the townsmen of London. An interesting story with a noble sequel, but one upon which we may not dwell. We seek in vain for satisfactory traces of Haston's fort at Benfleet. It has been thought that it occupied the high ground above the railway, but as Dr H. Laver says in admirable summary, there is quite enough remaining around the churchyard to mark out the corner of the fortress. Assuming this to be correct, the fort occupied a position by the side of the creek. It is worthy of note that when the railway was being constructed, remains of burnt vessels were found in the waterway. Valuable evidence when we remember that the Saxon Chronicle thus tells us the deeds of King Alfred's men, and all the ships they either broke in pieces or burned or brought to London or to Rochester. When I read this passage, I was stunned. They actually found burnt longboat remains in the ground when building Benfleet train station. I did some more digging. I found a website linked to Historic England, and it stated that considerable remains of burnt ships and human skeletons were found in about 1855 when the railway bridge was built over the backwater. And, in Victorian editions of the Transactions of the Essex Archaeological Society, someone stated, Our late friend, Mr King, informed me that when the railway bridge was made over the creek, the workmen, in excavating for the piers and for making the railway, came on the remains of burnt vessels to a considerable extent, and this statement is corroborated by Mr F. C. J. Spurrell in his paper. But, like the battle... The thread stopped there. I visited Southend Central Library on a quiet Saturday afternoon. Restrictions meant I only had 30 minutes to search for what I needed. Could a newspaper have covered such a story at the time? I soon discovered Southend had no such newspaper in 1855, the Southend Chronicle not starting until the 1860s. The Chelmsford Chronicle was my only hope, but it was on microfilm, and Covid had put paid to me spending hours in the library scrolling back copies. I put aside, for the time being, my inquiries on burnt Viking longboats and human remains in Canvey Creek. My abiding interest was still where Haston's camp would have been. 
To try and connect the current landscape of Benfleet to that which had been before seemed to me to be getting to some kind of truth. I'd recently taken part in a writers' festival in Melbourne, Australia, alongside a local medievalist called Steve Laws. I rang him up with a proposition, and together we set off for Benfleet in search of a commemorative monument and the hidden landscape where all those years ago death and destruction was laid upon the people of Haston. I met Steve in the station car park on a humid July afternoon. The sky was threatening to rain and the car park a vast stretch of tarmac on high ground that, when standing on it, gave views down onto the creeks and playing fields, was supposedly the fabled site of Haston's camp. Okay, so Steve, we're here at the car park. <laughs> the glory. So what we can see in front of us is we can see the train station yep. and the railway line going up to London. Sure. And then in front of us is this vast, expanse, expansive car park. And then in the sort of mid-ground, we've got a big playing field, which I always thought was the Viking camp. Yeah, I mean, it's a slightly more level bit of, um, level bit of land than this car park, which is on a sort of really uh, westerly sloping hill. Yeah, and, and obviously you've got the creeks on the other side of the train station. Yep. So do you think this is a logical place for a Viking camp? I mean, I'm not a Viking. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to be, you know, close to the river, um, close enough to London, but without being too close and within getaway um, uh, distance of Shoebury Ness, as, as according to the Chronicle, then, yeah, I mean, you could do worse. And depending on the their ability to lug materials up hills, this is slightly downhill from the top of Benfleet, so... Yeah, so it makes sense. It, it does appear to, yeah. And so in front of us, sort of to the left, where the station is, mm. that is where I read on this website that mm. they found the bodies and the boats, right. which was down here. Incredible. So I think we should walk down there, and then I believe there's a monument to the battle on Ferry Road, just past these houses. Have you got your shovel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could do some uh, archaeology yeah, over here. Yeah, let's do it. And then what we'll do is we'll walk round to the church, where yep. um, in this other bit I read, mm -hmm. uh, they think that there was a rampart for the camp. Fantastic. So it'd be quite nice to see this area from the church. Let's do it. So we'll go on. So we're, we're standing outside the train station now. So we've walked down from the car park, yep. down through a little alleyway, to the front of the station. And in the website, this is where I, they said they found the boats right. and the bodies. So I can only think that if they were building it, it was maybe this of course, underpass? Poss possibly for the foundations of this floor we're standing on, but um, yeah, it, may, it would make sense of the underpass there, especially if it's boats. So, you know, this is all formerly marshland. And like I say, um, uh, the um, Benfleet means, you know, wooded area. Um, so it's possible that this was marsh up to woods. So yeah, and that, I think that could make sense as well because if the camp was there, yep. I'm, I'm pointing just behind us, yep. then they probably would have come down here if this is the creek. And if you can imagine this not being built up, because this has probably been built up to an embankment, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So that embankment is, where the station was probably wasn't this there. Is right on the floodplain. <laughs> yeah, if you like you say, you know, if the camp is over there, 
then it would only be natural they would have been mooring boats somewhere around here and is it that you said that Alfred came and burned the boats? Yeah. And probably just pushed them out onto the water. I mean, it sounds like a mockery of a Viking funeral, mm. <laughs> you know, in a sense. That's a really interesting point, because why would they have been burning... Would they have burnt the boats here because they wanted to prevent escape? Were there bodies in them? Some of the bodies were in them. Maybe Women it, and children, I believe. Maybe it was a Viking funeral, although the Chronicle says, you know, he was merciful and uh, gave everyone back. <laughs> maybe that's not true. You know, the Chronicle is, of course, an... an a Wessex document at the end of the day or pro-Wessex document not necessarily written in Wessex it's mostly Jarrow but um, yeah yeah, it's possible it lied <laughs> yeah. Should we move on to look at the monuments? The burnt boats and human remains bothered me Steve's suggestion that they may have been the remains of burial rather than war was plausible and I agreed with his cynicism that you can't really have a battle where everyone is returned safe We walked towards Ferry Road and under the railway bridge to stand on the flood defence looking up to the car park on the slope with the estuary creeks behind us. So that's that's Canvey there. That is, yeah. You know, it just must have been a terrifying prospect, really, um, for the native Anglo-Saxons, you know, living in this area, probably with the small clearings and settlements, little wooded palisade kind of places um you know canvey for example is just over there they would have been able to look over the water through the trees and seen a camp right here of danes who have been pushed back by alfred and you know canvey the word comes from let's butcher this again the anglo-saxon canning canning which means the isle of the people of canna so canna i'm not sure if a god or a leader probably a leader at this point um and they're all sitting there <laughs> thinking, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, what's going to happen to yeah. us? And, and where we're standing, I mean, the, the aspect's really poor because we've got the giant Benfleet station, station in front of yeah. us. But so the bodies and boats were supposedly yeah. found here. Yeah. And then the camp is there and we're right on the waterfront here, yeah, right on the we're, creek. We're stood on what I, I... It must be an artificial seawall. You know, this is, a, this is a mound that's built and we're on top of a path. You can just imagine the water coming from here all the way through the station, possibly even where the underpass is. It might have even been a natural ah, okay, yeah. natural flow all the way up to the gate. I mean, the Danish were seafaring people. They built their entire wealth and resources and, and um, reputation off of their skill as seamen. So there's no doubt that whatever camps they were building had uh, facilities for, you know, for, for pushing boats into the sea quickly. So, so essentially what we need to do is we need to ignore what we're looking at. Yeah. We need to imagine this road that goes on to Canva. We need to imagine the, the station, this raised land that we're standing on. We just need to imagine this all gone. As water we just, possibly. Yeah, as yeah. creek and marshland. Yeah, yeah, definitely marshland, if not, you know, if not permanent river. I mean, you know, I, when, when, when was the Thames flood defences built? 53. Well, late 50s. Right, late 50s. So a thousand years before that, it's, it's quite possible that the water's edge came a lot further up. You know, I know for a fact that Tilbury was um, partly inaccessible floodland uh, throughout the Middle Ages. You can actually find parts of the sea wall down there still, the medieval sea wall. I believe the same is true at Shoebury. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's possible that the water would have come right up to where the, the camp is now. I've, I, someone's probably done a map of this. 
can you find it for? Oh, let's have a look. In 2007, the local council commissioned two monuments to be made to commemorate the events here in Benfleet. It was our next port of call before moving on to St Mary's Church, which some Victorian researchers had believed was the likely location of the camp. Right, so we've got something a little bit more exciting now, Steve. What yeah. have we found? So we're on the side of a very busy road uh, on the underpass of uh, Benfleet Station and there is uh, railings with Viking ships um, sculpted all the way along them and a maybe 30, 20, 30 foot dragon, uh, metal dragon in the shape of a ship mask, uh, mast and... Um, and a sign which says Battle of Benfleet. This statue and railings have been erected for, uh, to commemorate the Battle of Benfleet, which took place between the Vikings and the Saxons in 894 AD. The nearby St Mary's Church was founded at this time to celebrate the Saxon victory over the Vikings. Brilliant. And so it did really happen. It did. <laughs> we've, we've crossed the busy road and we're now in sort of like a, a sort of semi-country park sort of feeling. So the, the big car park where they believe the main camp was is now in front of us yeah and it's sort of in front of us sort of rising up to the the skyline so it wouldn't make sense that it would be on raised land and you were just saying about stone circles being on hillsides so yeah well i brought up the um the case of a a, an actual um settlement that i found in dartmoor a few weeks ago which was built on the side of a hill uh you know near 30 degree angle which has survived for 3500 years or so so there's no reason why they wouldn't put it on a on a uh on a slant so here we are i think in front of the actual monument itself (laughs) so it's nice isn't it do you like it absolutely beautiful yeah (laughs) and it's it's Ah, I wouldn't say it's granite, it's some maybe concrete, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't look like... Probably concrete with some stone in a mosaic sort of formation. And we've yeah. got... And w- w- what can we see, Steve? Okay, <laughs> some packet slightly. Um, two-headed snakes, crosses with almost, I want to say, you know, nearly Celtic decoration on them, but... Yeah. Looks like a crucifix. It, it is, a, yeah, certainly a crucifix. You know, there's two, there's two here, two stones next to each other. One uh, to me is representing uh, Viking culture. There's the ships and a giant serpent, probably the Midgard serpent, uh, underneath it. Um, I can't really tell what else that is. Some sort of it's like the sun, maybe, or <laughs> yeah. And then um, there's some sort of effigy yeah, on the bottom right. Yeah, of a person, possibly Hasten. Yeah, who's to say? That boat's on fire. Ah! It's flames. Yeah, this is almost certainly flames coming off of a boat here. Could be referring to the um, boat burnings you were talking about. And then on this side is a man on horseback, which that's a Saxon thing, right? <laughs> Maybe this is the Saxon yeah, side because you've it. got the crucifix, the, yeah. the Christianization. Yeah. But also possibly. Um, What's it called? Uh, Thor's hammer. Uh, Mo- Mo- I'm going to butcher it again. Mojnir? Mo- I know what you mean. That that sigil. Yeah, it's and you you find um, quite a lot in um, early Christian Saxon settlements. Uh, this combination of the uh, Thor's or Funor's hammer and the Christian cross, because you know early uh, late folk pagan beliefs would just sort of. Um, absorb 
whatever God seemed to be working. And, uh, you know, late Saxon people could see that the Christian God was coming with wealth and fortune and power and status and respect. And so they would combine these images because they believed, you know, four is powerful, Christ is powerful, what's more powerful than a combination? So that does look to me like that, you know, there's a cross sat between two. Although there might be anchors looking at it, actually, they're on sort of rings. But there are two men with spears and shields who are almost certainly certainly Saxon warriors. And this is possibly possibly Alfred, who appears to have a crown on his head. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah. And the cross is on top of this two-headed serpent. Now snowbanks sang in the wildness Did anyone really notice we were gone? So we've just been, we've walked around the church, yep. um, or we were at St Mary's Church, and we've just um, looked very dodgy <laughs> by um, looking in all the windows. What were we looking for? We were looking for a little model of a Viking ship, which is uh, 20th century, uh, that was put there to commemorate the battle, as this church was put here, uh, built by Alfred, is that right? I'm not sure. The plaque said yeah. that this, this church. church was built to commemorate. Right. When that was, we're not sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at it, I mean, it looks pretty old, doesn't it? It's got that sort of flint. It's a flint It's definitely church. medieval, for it's sure. It's pretty it, old, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, certainly medieval. Uh, how early, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> and then I was, and I was reading an, an old article that said that this might have been one of the ramparts of the camp, mm. which I'm not sure because we... We're we're kind of on the right hand side of the car park where where supposedly the camp was. Yeah. So do you think that could be? Well, it just depends how big the camp was. Um, you know, there's nothing to say of that. We're just the only source we have is the chronicle. Um, yeah, it, it all just depends, really. <laughs> you know, it's definitely it's definitely a, a hilled area here in this in this church. Um, yeah, I couldn't say. No. <laughs> No, it's it's really tricky, isn't it? Because yeah. you you can't you cut. Would this landmass have been connected with the road of being a dip? Would that have been a natural dip? That's I imagine right. it was, but yeah. would it have been more level? Who knows? Yeah, it's entirely um, possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, interesting. And you were saying that uh, you don't think it was a battle at all. Well, no, the chronicle is quite clear that it was, you know, a. Um, a, a, a an undercover sort of invasion by Alfred. He he went there when Heiston was not in the camp. He he took women and children and Heiston's two sons as hostages. He outnumbered them. Uh, there doesn't appear to have been a battle. But the Chronicle also says that no one was injured. And going back to what you were saying, or killed, and going back to what you were saying about um, about these ships being found with bodies on them in you know almost traditional Viking burial style. Were they burned? Supposedly. Supposedly burned. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it depends. Did that did that happen during this event, or were they just regular Viking burials that were pushed out maybe before that event, or after even? Do you know what an alternative uh, possibility is? That that's made up. That that's a possible selling point. Yeah. You know, um, it's a no, uh, it's a myth. It's possibly a myth. You know, who knows? I'm I'm not saying I know that, <laughs> but it's, it's it's certainly something that Victorian uh, peddlers of seaside towns did. Uh, to uh, you know, attract visitors. 
The facts of the Battle of Benfleet remain frustratingly out of reach. The people of Hastings' camp move undefined beyond our vision. However, standing in the church grounds, looking down onto the creeks and train station and its car park, I was inclined to think that the car park would have been the prime spot for a group of Danish Vikings to camp. Indeed, in 1992, some brief archaeological explorations did find a medieval ditch, which suggested a rampart of some settlement where the car park was. I also agreed with Steve that this may not have been a majestic set battle, more perhaps a skirmish, but certainly an event worthy of recording in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. I had not found an answer to the burnt boats and human remains found in the creek in 1855. I didn't feel it was make-believe. Perhaps the death of the navvies who found them from some strange illness was, but I felt the story was credible. The references to it were fleeting and sparse, and my search for the exact details will continue. If I find more, I will return to you with updates. After the battle, the Danish set up camp on a spur of land on the estuary's edge in Shoebury Ness. Steve points out the land was originally some Iron Age fortification, so it may be the Danish chose it for ready defences and a quick seaborne escape. They had perhaps learnt their lesson from Benfleet. The area is now the Garrison Estate in Shoebury, and if you walk around there today, you can still spot some of these ancient earthworks. Haston disappears from the historical record soon after, and there is speculation that he established himself, or his camp did, in Hastings, which is Anglo-Saxon for the people of Haster. Whether it's the same person, we just don't know but it provides a satisfying closing of the circle to think the English state, which King Alfred had been pivotal in forming, met its ultimate and disastrous fate there in 1066. In that sense, the busy town of Benfleet had its role to play in the wider history to come. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Clifftown podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share if you're enjoying it. My thanks to Steve for taking time out to walk Benfleet with me and trying to understand the landscape then and now. You can find out about Steve's arts projects and services at stevelawsart.co.uk. If you're interested in my work, you can find me at mgbolter.co.uk and the Clifftown album is available there or in all good record shops. We're reaching the end of this series, and next month will be the penultimate episode, where I will be delving into some of the secondary stories I discovered while making the podcast so far. So, all that's left for me to say is, see you next time in Clifftown. To find a heart they can write upon they see black and they see blood Words whispers as loud as a scream Echoing void when you were young and valueless and cheap But I still yearn, I still